Okay, good to see everybody today. And as Andrew said, it's always good to see the sun come out in September, which it always does, once the schools have gone back. It's a beautiful day. Um, today we're going to be focusing on um, a beautiful passage in the Bible, uh, 1 Peter 1, and verses 1 to 9. And there's an awful lot in this. Um, there's nine verses, but there's, there's a lot to discuss. So um, I would say to you, if after this, you kind of, there's, you've got any questions about this, do go along to our Bible studies in the week because you'll be able to discuss anything there. Ask any sort of silly question because we all ask silly questions in Bible study uh, and uh, you'll find some help there. So yeah, it's a beautiful passage basically. It shines a light on the amazing living hope we have in Jesus. This incredible inheritance that we have that we can be assured of. It encourages us, even when we go through really difficult times, this, this, this passage will help us to sort of see the light, see the goodness in it and see that there's a reason for it because as we go through struggles there are all sorts of reasons why we have struggles and trials but one of them um, as explained by this passage is, is um, there's a reason for it and we can see that in this passage which, which Peter's writing to people who are suffering themselves so um, Tony if you could come up and, uh, and just read this passage that'd be fantastic So 1 Peter, 1 to 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine, and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Through him you have not seen him. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thanks, Tony. Um, so, yeah, we're going to go through this verse by verse and just have a look into it and see what it all means and, have, and sort of discuss what it means. But before delving into it, what we'll do is we'll, I'll just give you a bit of context because it's really important, I think, for us as Christians to always know the context of what we're looking at. So this um, passage and this, this entire book was written by um, the Apostle Peter. Um, that's the Peter who was with Jesus um, as a disciple. Um, and it was written... Um, Scholars tend to argue about when it was written, but generally it's thought it was written in the AD 60s during the time of Nero, um, which was a very bad time for being a Christian. Um, and it's thought to have been written while Peter was in jail in Rome. Okay, so again, there's, there's argument about that, but that's the case. It would have been shortly before Peter was actually martyred. Um, so in that, in that time, he's writing it to a number of churches that are in Asia Minor, which I believe is modern day Turkey. Um, and he's writing to them because, just like him, he's, 
he's seeing the, the persecution and the difficulties that they're going through and he wants to sort of give them a little bit of encouragement in those times. Um, so that's the background. Let's look through it in detail. So first of all, he introduces who he's, who he's talking to. Um, and then he reveals a really, really amazing truth. And that is that we have, or they have, and it includes us as well, they've been chosen. Um, this, is, this is kind of a hard thing to get our heads around. It's something that's also talked about by Paul when he was writing Ephesians 1-4. Um, it's an amazing thing and it can be hard for us to get our heads around. But in Ephesians 1-4 it says, For he chose us in him, that's God the Father chose us in Jesus before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now that's a big thing, that's a, that's a big statement. Now don't be confused about this in terms of, you know, is somebody beyond help? Is somebody, does that mean that somebody hasn't been chosen and they can't come to God? That's, that's not what this is saying at all. We all have the same um, ability to um, be obedient to God. Um, and people will come to God at different stages of their lives. Somebody may appear to be lost, but is actually found later in their life. We don't know who's, we don't know who God has chosen. We can't say, oh, all those people in church have been chosen, all those people haven't. That's not the case. It's a difficult subject, and it's something that we could discuss for a very long period of time in, in Bible study. Um, but it is a truth. We have been chosen. Um, but chosen for what? Well, what Peter says is, um, he says to these people that he's writing to, but he also says to us, we've been chosen through the, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. So I'll cover the, the, the blood bit later. But first of all, what is this saying? It's saying we've been chosen to be obedient to Christ. So we've been chosen to follow Jesus. Um, and the only way that we're able to do that, or the thing that helps us to do that, is the sanctifying work of the Spirit that's been given to us. Because we've been given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will, through time, improve us, sanctify us, and guide us, and guide our consciences to be more like Jesus, and for a sort of purifying process which happens, actually, through, through trials as well. Notice, as well, in this verse, um, which I'll go back to there, this is all parts of the Godhead. So, first of all, it's the Father who's chosen us to be obedient to Jesus Christ, and we're going to be obedient to Jesus Christ through the help of the Holy Spirit. So everything's working in unison here. And this verse also says, obviously, that we've been chosen to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Now, to somebody who's not a Christian, that sounds a little bit gory and weird. And to be honest, when we're, we don't, you know, when we're just learning about Jesus, it sounds a bit weird. It could even sound weird to us now. Um, but basically what this is saying is that it's just explaining how Jesus is the Lamb of God. It's a theme throughout the Bible that Jesus is the Lamb of God. His blood was shed to cover our sin so that, you know, people who would never be able to get into heaven are able to get into heaven through the righteousness that we get through the shedding of Jesus' blood. And it's a comparison to what the Jewish people used to do in the Old Covenant. They were asked to continually sacrifice animals to cleanse their sins. And the priest had to sacrifice an animal to cover his sins, to be able to go into the holy place and to, to commune with God. Um, this is something that's also explained by the writer of Hebrews 9, 13 to 14. When he compares these sacrifices, the lesser sacrifice, that regular sacrifice that they have to do all the time to keep on cleansing their sins, this amazing sort of once and for all shedding of the blood of Jesus, which covers all of us once and for all, anyone who believes. 
So it reads, uh, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. He's talking about what the Jewish people did. Um, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? He's talking about the same thing. Um, He's talking about cleansing us so that we may serve the living God, we may serve Jesus through the Holy Spirit, the sanctification of the Holy Spirit and the shedding of his blood which covers our sin. So it's an incredible... Even early in this passage, that's some incredible truths that we can learn. Let's, let's read on, though. So he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. That's verses 3 and 4. So first of all here, Peter's talking about the great mercy of God to send his Son and to rescue us. And he explains to us what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. So he uses the word um, new birth, and he also mentions the words living hope. Um, So what is this living hope? Well, first of all, I think what it reminds us and what it would have reminded them of is that Jesus isn't a God that's dead. He's not... Some religions have gods that have passed away, that they're they're dead. Um, Our God lives. Our God was resurrected. He died, but he was resurrection. He re- resurrected and he rose again. And that gives us this amazing hope that through him we can also rise again. So it is a living hope, not a dead hope at all. And the other point of it is that our hope goes on beyond this life. Um, it's an eternal hope. It's a living hope for the future beyond death. Now, many non-believers and even sometimes in life Christians can put their hope in things that are going to die. You could put your hope in a politician, a cause, in a pop star, a football team. You can put your your hope in money, in success, in a dream. It might even be a dream in the church that you have. There's all sorts of ways you can put your, your hope into something. But those things ultimately will pass away. Generally, if you're putting your hope in a person, they're probably going to let you down at some point. But equally, even if they don't let you down, the things that we put our hope in will fade away. Our wealth will fade away. When we die, we will, our money will, will rust. Our, um, whatever we built up, even if we set ourselves try and create a legacy that's going to live on beyond our death, that, that's soon going to be run out and it's going to be forgotten. You know, if you go around the Irish countryside now, you'll see a lot of houses that were once really thriving places where people lived an amazing life and had amazing memories. And they're now... They've not been bought, and they're just rusting into the ground, covered in nature, and very soon you wouldn't even know they're there. And that's sad, but that's what happens in this world, because things pass away, things die, things get forgotten about. But that's not what we hope for in Jesus. We, hope for a, we have a living hope, a hope that's going to live on, and live, outlive us, and take us to eternal life in heaven. As Peter explains, this living hope is only possible because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. The fact that he was raised to life 2,000 years ago gives us this unshakable conviction that our hope is not in vain. And it also identified him absolutely as the Son of God. There's no question that he was the Messiah. He rose from the dead. Not only did he do all those miracles, but he rose from the dead, um, which is an incredible thing. The other thing this verse says is that our hope will never, our inheritance will never perish, spoil or fade. We know this because 
first of all, Peter tells us, and we believe the Bible is God-breathed. A lot of Christians believe the Bible is God-breathed. But we also know it for a number of other verses in the Bible which say the same thing, basically. Um, in 1 Peter 1, verse 23, this is later in this book that we're reading at the moment, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And then there's John 3.16, which is probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this inheritance means that we don't perish. We will not die. We will live on. And this is a theme throughout the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 1.1, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, that is, people who don't believe. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So this is a truth that is, that's three examples, but there's loads of examples of the fact that our inheritance, eternal life, will never fade away like everything else does. It's a living hope. So it's a hope that will never die, but let's read on in this passage through verses four and five. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in this last time. So again, there's a lot to go through here. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So our inheritance is there. It's waiting for us. If you imagine it, sitting on a shelf, our inheritance is there. It's not, it doesn't say our inheritance might be in heaven for you, you know, depending on what you do. If you have faith in Jesus, the inheritance is there for you, and it's not going to go away. It's safe. We can be sure that our inheritance is waiting for us. But in the meantime, that can be, although that's encouraging to know, it can be difficult because, you know, we're going to go through difficulties in our lives. We're going to suffer hardships and it's going to seem hard. But until that time, until Jesus comes again, that is when Jesus is revealed in the last time, that revelation means revealed, and in the last time Jesus will come again and the new creation will be fully revealed. But until that time or until we die, we will be shielded by God's power. It says it there, we will be shielded by God's power. And we'll be shielded by God's power, not by anything we do. It's not conditional, it's just through our faith. Our faith is shielding us, um, which is an incredible thing. Now, does that mean, therefore, that we're never going to get hurt, we're never going to get ill, we're never going to get persecuted, we're never going to be, you know, at the end of the day, people are martyred, even today, people are martyred today. And in this time, to the people that, Peter was writing to, they were most likely going to be persecuted and quite possibly die. Um, Peter was writing this from in prison. So clearly it's not telling us that we're going to be shielded by God's power in terms of nothing going wrong and living a wonderful, healthy life with loads of wealth, etc., etc. That's not what it's saying. And we can take that from all the examples in the Bible of people who that didn't happen to, and we can take it from our own examples. Sometimes being a Christian is not easy. But what it is saying is that we're shielded by God's power through our faith that whatever anybody can take away from us, they can take away our dignity, they could take away our freedom, they could take away our um, all, everything we own, um, and eventually they could take away our lives. But what they cannot take away is our inheritance. We, they cannot take away, they cannot take the, our faith away from us and they cannot take what God has planned for us away from us. So this is an incredible thing. And... It's an important thing to remember because we will go through hard times and the people who are reading this book were definitely going through bad times. So if we read on, it says, In all of this you greatly rejoice, 
though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So having done this, having, having encouraged them through these amazing things that they have to look forward to, Peter is then talking about the fact that they are going through really difficult times and he fully understands what they're going through and he's writing this really to encourage them and, and to encourage them to keep their eyes on Christ because they're going to need it. Because if they were living in the time of Nero, as it's believed in, AD, in the AD 60s, and they were living in these provinces which were under Roman rule, then they would have gone through incredibly difficult trials. Later in um, 1 Peter, uh, the book of 1 Peter, in uh, chapter 4, Peter tells the church, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you. Now, this is interpreted slightly different in different Bible, verse, Bible versions, so we're not sure whether fiery ordeal is, is definitely what this is saying, but it could well be speaking, it could be metaphorical, it could be just talking about hard times, that's totally possible. But if, it, if they were around in the time of Nero, then it's also possible that the fiery ordeal they were going through was literally being burned to death, because that is what Nero did to Christians. Um, this, was, this is a historical fact, that he burned to death Christian people. And if you imagine being in that time and having to face up and be brave and keep your faith, during those times, that is extraordinarily difficult. One thing, though, though this applies to these people, and obviously particularly because of the awful times they go through, we must understand that even today, people are being martyred, people are, are being beheaded, people are being persecuted, and are unable to, to show their Christian faith in public for fear of being imprisoned, for fear of being killed, and their families being killed, all these things. This does go on today. But that doesn't belittle either the struggles that we go through. This, this book is just as relevant to us as it is to anybody else in terms of we go through mental health problems, we go through, through physical health problems, we go through terminal illness, we might go through setbacks, violence, abuse, um, rejection. But God doesn't belittle that sort of thing. This is also written for us to understand and to be built up when we're going through those tough times, when we're clinging on to him, even though it's really, really hard. Because I know there's so many people in this church and outside this church and other Christians who are just going through a really hard time. And it's really hard to keep your eyes on Christ. And what this book can, and what this, this passage can do is to just build us up and to make us realise that First of all, we have this incredible inheritance to look forward to, but also that there is a potential reason in those sufferings that is for our good. So Peter goes on, um, and he's talking about the trials. Trials isn't actually in the text, but he says, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined with fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Christ Jesus is revealed. That's... Um, that's verse 7. So he's telling the churches here that the trials, he's giving one of the reasons why we can go through trials. That they, these trials have come to reveal the proven genuineness of their faith, which will result in glory and honour and praise to God, which I'll talk about in a little bit of detail later. But firstly about the proven genuineness of their faith. This can really encourage us and help to explain why we're going through these difficult times. Because I think we'll understand that in any trial we go through, generally you might come out of a difficult situation where you'll feel, actually, in hindsight, I really learned from that, and that happened for a reason. There was a reason for it. Um, maybe it increased your character, maybe it increased your patience, your endurance. Maybe it was just the right thing. It was God's plan for you, which whatever happens to you, it's God's plan. 
But we can certainly grow and we can certainly become closer to Jesus through our trials because Jesus, we're, we're often, it's described as taking up your cross and following him. You know, to, to know Jesus is to know, you know, he was rejected, he was despised, he was scorned. You know, if we go through trials, we are only, we're beginning to sort of experience some of those things that Jesus went through. So it can bring us closer to God as well. We can be, it can help us to be refined, it can help us to be improved, it can improve our faith as well. To illustrate this point, Peter uses the example of gold. Um, And obviously, I think in those times and in these times, gold has always been considered a very precious metal. So I believe that's why he's doing that, because it's considered extremely valuable, extremely good quality. Um, So he's using this as an example. But I believe he's also using it, and he mentions it here actually, about refinement process, because the purity of gold is also tested. And it's purified and proved genuine through intense heat. So it gets put into the fire, and when it gets put into the fire, those impurities, any alloys, any little bits that aren't gold, will get melted away, and all you'll be left with is this perfect piece of gold. And that's a refinement process. And he's using that as an example because this is a a way of explaining as well how the Holy Spirit, through this sanctification process that Peter was talking about early in this, this chapter, is improving us and our trials and going through that fire can improve us and can make us closer to God. It's a gradual sanctification process and we're never going to get perfect. We're never going to be that perfect piece of gold by the end of it until Jesus takes us to heaven and covers us with his blood and we, we, we are made completely pure. But we will gradually improve and be refined as we go through difficult times and even undifficult times as a process that we're going through. But while gold is really, really hard to destroy, um, it doesn't really rust, um, and it, ref- it survives this refining fire and it actually purifies it, makes it better. Like any other worldly material, gold can scratch, gold can get worn away, and eventually, when the end of this world comes and it is replaced with the new heaven and the new earth, everything in this world will perish. It will, it will die. But that's something, that's one of the reasons why he says that the proven genuineness of our faith is of even greater worth than gold because it lives on. It's not going to perish. It's not going to die away. So not only does genuine faith survive the refinement we experience when God puts us through trials, which can build our compassion and our humility and our patience and get rid of all those impurities, unlike gold, our hope, our inheritance will never die. Notice also, though, that these trials are not like an entrance exam for heaven. Um, Peter has complete confidence in his audience because this isn't about works. This isn't about how well you do. Um, and that's quite fortunate for Peter because Peter, as you remember, he was, had incredible confidence in his faith and yet he denied Jesus three times. When push came to shove, he failed, he fell. But he got up again. He clung on to Jesus. You can see here he is writing several years later, and he's still clinging to God. He hasn't given up his faith. His faith is still strong. Um, So, you know, there are times when we will fail the tests. But that doesn't take away our inheritance. Our inheritance, as Peter has said already, is there waiting for us. So we don't need to worry about that. 
In terms of whether we can, are allowed to cry out in these struggles as well, is that a sign that we don't have genuine faith? Well, no, of course it isn't. If you look at Job and you look at David, you look at so many characters through the Bible, real people in the Bible, who cried out to God to ask where he was at certain times. Maybe they couldn't see him in what was, they were going through. There are occasions where you do in the Psalms where you'll hear, hear David cry out and say, you know, where are you, God? And sometimes it can seem he's not there. But again, they never stopped believing. Even though they failed in their struggles and they fell down, and just as we fall down sometimes, that does not take away our inheritance. But what it does do is it proves the genuineness of our faith. We endure. We're justified by faith. And in fact, in the next and final verse that we're going to cover in this passage, uh, Peter sort of praises believers for their faith because sometimes we can think, how can faith be enough, you know? It's such a simple thing. It's easy to believe in Jesus, isn't it? And to put our faith in Jesus? Well, apparently not, according to Peter. And I don't think we should take it lightly. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we shouldn't take this lightly. We shouldn't think, you know, our faith isn't of great value. I mean, we've just heard our faith is actually of greater value than gold. You know, this is, this, this is an incredible thing. And we shouldn't also diminish the fact, and especially for these people, I think, it's particularly re- relevant to the people he's writing to, because they are going through these incredible, awful persecutions. And yet Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. We as Christians love Jesus. We haven't seen him. Peter saw him. But he's, he's, he's just explaining the fact that it is incredible to see what they're doing, for him to see what they're doing, because they haven't seen him, but they love him. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And even though they do not see him now, he says, so, you know, again, that might be just that they haven't seen him in the flesh at this point yet. But also, they might not be seeing him in these situations they're going through. They may not see him when their families are pulled away from them, or, or they're persecuted, or they're being lined up to be put to death. They might ask, where is Jesus here? But even though they do not see him all the time, necessarily, they have faith in believe in him. And that, that is a massive thing. It also says they are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And just to clarify that point, that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to go through life as Christians with a massive smile on our face when we're struggling. I don't think that helps anyone if we're being fake and pretending that we're okay. You know, if you've been diagnosed with a ter- terminal illness, if, there's all sorts of things that you can go through. And that doesn't mean that you're supposed to put on a fake grin, okay? Because it's hard, okay? But what it does mean is that we have a comfort there. We have something which I think people notice in us, which is a calmness that generally people may not have. These people who were going to their death here, or were being persecuted or put in prison, it's quite possible that they were showing more of a calmness than a lot of people who would be in that situation. And that's a supernatural strength that we get through the Holy Spirit and through God. And it shines their light out and gives an example to people, so much so that these people who who are talking about by Peter here, Their examples lived on through the Bible. We're reading it today. We're inspired by their amazing faith and seeing, you know, how much it shone out and how much it glorifies and brings praise and honour and and glory to God. And in a small way, that can apply to us as well, in the way that we cling on to God and show our faith 
through those difficult, difficult times. And the, the last thing that this piece reveals as well, it says you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's saying you are receiving. So that's strange because usually we would think that, well, we get our inheritance when we die, which is true. We get our, our, main, our inheritance comes when we die. But he's saying that we are receiving it already, that these people are already receiving the end result of their faith. And that's all about this sanctification process that they're going through. That's evidence of the fact that they're saved. These trials they're going through and the work of the Holy Spirit to improve them and refine them is proof of the salvation of the souls. And it's also the start of receiving that, even though we really receive the main thing when we die. You may not be surprised, though, um, reading through this passage, that while this is really encouraging for them and really encouraging for us, it's not all about us. It's not, although it's nice to have, be built up, this is actually, like most Bible verses and probably perhaps all of Bible verses, it points to God. And it's all about bringing joy and honour and praise to God. Let's go back to verse 7. And I've greyed out a little bit just to make it sort of clearer to take out that little clause in between. These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory and honour when Christ Jesus is revealed. This is the main reason. The provenness of our faith the proven, proven genuineness of our faith is to bring, it will result ultimately in bringing glory and honour when Christ Jesus is revealed. And it's not talking about glory and honour for us, although it does say in the Bible that there will be jubilation when anyone is saved. You know, that, that is true. But it's not glory and honour to us. It's glory and honour to Jesus Christ. Because, and again, so that just to make sure that we don't get puffed up about it, it being anything that we've done, because it isn't, the reason he's going to get glory and honour and praise is because people like us who are imperfect, who shouldn't have any hope of getting to heaven, are going to be in heaven. And there's only one reason for that. There's only one possible way. It should be impossible. But through Jesus Christ and through God's amazing plan, we're able to be there. And that will result in incredible praise and honour to God when Jesus Christ is revealed in those final times. So it's an amazing thing, and praise be to God, because it's an incredible, incredible thing. So just to sum everything up, firstly, we have been chosen by God since the beginning of time to be saved by the precious blood of Jesus, and we've been chosen to be sanctified by the Spirit to do the will of Jesus through our lives. We've been gifted this incredible inheritance, which is a living hope in Christ that will never perish, it won't perish and die, it will live on into eternity. And while we wait for that inheritance, while we're still going through the trials and the struggles of our lives, we will be shielded by our faith alone and by God's power and will be constantly refined and improved by the Holy Spirit working within us. And this can really encourage us when we go through trials. These trials and our willingness to hold on to God despite them, the proven genuineness of our faith, should encourage us and it will inspire others because it is an assurance of the genuineness of our faith and it's assurance that we are strong in, in God and we can be completely safe in our inheritance. And our genuine faith, even through these hardships, and ultimately it will result in glory and honour and praise to God when Jesus Christ is revealed in the last times. So this is an amazing thing. I hope that's been encouraging to you. Like I say, 
if, um, you, if there's anything you question or you're not sure about, any problems with it, then speak to myself, Tony, or, or Andrew after the service, or please do go along to the Bible studies. I would really, really, um, really, really recommend the Bible studies as a great place just to ask any question you want to ask, because literally there are no silly questions about this. And to be honest, we, everybody in the group will ask questions which they may seem silly questions, but they're not. It's really, really important for us to get together and to talk and discuss things and to just clear up things if we're really struggling with something or we don't understand something. And there's a huge amount um, in this passage that we could discuss um, on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday um, in our Bible studies. So do come along. Get details. Um, if you didn't see them earlier, then you can just ask Andrew or look on the website There's uh, on the Facebook as well. You'll be able to see those um, or on the WhatsApp messages as well.